give it up for Carissa. Guys, if you missed last week, we just started a brand new series called Open the Book, and, and we are encouraging and, and exhorting uh, all of us to get into God's Word together. In fact, we put together a Bible reading plan. We've been reading through Matthew, I think, a dwindle reference it just a second ago. If you didn't get a copy of the reading plan, you can go to citychurchob.com and download it, or you can pick one up on your way out the door at the Connection Center. It's the blue sheet. Um, if you missed the first seven chapters, you can just dive right in with us, start at Matthew chapter 8, and uh, read through the rest of it with us. But uh, I think we had seven people submit open the book videos last week, which was awesome. Each and every one of them was, was so cool. You need to go to a uh, Facebook and just search the hashtag open the book and it'll pull them all up or you can go to the City Church Facebook page and and find a listing of them but uh, Carissa got the most views on her video Uh, she got 45 views as of about 9.02 p.m. last night Melody had 44 views as of 9.02 p.m. so you just uh, just got in there but I got a little prize for you so Carissa come on up Uh, I'm gonna embarrass you just a little bit more this is a $25 Visa gift card, which will hopefully help you forgive me for showing your video at church. Uh, so congratulations. Give it up one more time for Carissa, for everybody who submitted the videos. If you didn't get a chance to submit a video this week, um, man, as God speaks to you, man, just, just highlight a verse. Just highlight something that jumps out to you. And you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be flawless. Um, I don't think any of us were, myself included, on our videos, man. But uh, I know people are being encouraged. People are being inspired from all over the country as we share these videos. And so I'd encourage you to jump in there. And uh, you never know, you might get the most views and get a chance to win $25 gift card next week. I also want to give a shout out to Caleb McLaughlin because he was the first one to put together an open the book video, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, Caleb hit Matthew chapter 2, and then we actually had at least one video on every chapter after that through the end of the, uh, the reading through Matthew 7. So uh, we actually had two that hit on Matthew 4. So congratulations to all you guys. I'm super proud of you and super pumped about what God is doing. Quite a few of you uh, also contributed just kind of thoughts uh, almost like little miniature blog posts as you were reading, and, and you hashtagged open the book. And, and it's so cool just to go on there and see what God's showing all of our people as they get in the Word of God. Don't miss out on this, I'm telling you. Uh, if you didn't participate in this at all this week, you are missing out on what God is showing us. And I, I really encourage you to, to dive in and read right along with us. So today, go ahead and open the book uh, to Hebrews chapter 4. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, man, uh, these next two Sundays, I really encourage you, make sure you've got a Bible with you. Make sure you can look at it, physically open it up, and and see what God has to say. But we're going to uh, look at two key passages today uh, regarding this thing right here. Uh, the sword. And I think a lot of times when we think of things that the Bible is compared to in Scripture, this might be the first one that a lot of us think of. In fact, uh, when I was a kid uh, in kids' church, we used to do this thing where it was like a competition to see who could find a verse the fastest, and the teacher would call out, Psalm 121.4 or whatever, and, uh, and it would be sword raised. And so you would raise your Bible, and as soon as she would say Psalm 21.4, you'd flip to it, try to see who could find it. Um, now, I don't know the kids are going to grow up with that because they can just have it on an app and just click to it right there and not even know what book comes before another one. But that's what we did back in the day. And so sword is probably the one that I associate most closely with this. This is an amazing sword. Uh, Kenneth, I think this is Kenneth, or it's Naomi, as Naomi brought it. Um, it's about 30 pounds, uh, and thankfully it's not sharp. 
Uh, but I think you could still kill somebody with it just by hitting them with the, the force of it. This thing is an absolute beast. So I'm not going to kill anybody today. I'm going to put this down. And uh, I actually have a wooden sword, which I'll use for a prop a little bit later on. It's when I'm actually going to like swing a sword and move it around. Because I'm afraid I'm not strong enough to do this without uh, taking somebody out on the front row. So Kaylin and uh, my unborn child are going to remain safe uh, as I put this sword down. But thank you guys for bringing that. That thing is Awesome. Uh, But we're going to look at two main passages that teach us that God's word is like a sword. And then we're going to see kind of what that means and and how can that relate to our life. And we're going to look at a section of scripture in the Old Testament that I think will bring this to life for you, maybe in a way that you've never seen it before. So we're going to start out in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And this is a very, very well-known passage if you've grown up in church You've probably heard this before. It says, For the word of God is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. This thing right here, this thing that you hold in your hand, this thing that the average American household has 4.4 of them in our home, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Than any sword that's out there on the market, it's more impactful. It says that it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Now, I want to pause right there. Uh, we believe that God created humans in three parts. There are some churches and some Christians that believe we're made in two parts, and we're not against those people. We just think they're wrong in this case. And, and this is why. Um, there's another place, actually, where we see spirit, soul, and body, uh, specifically in, in Thessalonians. But right here, it says that soul and spirit can actually be divided. A lot of people think that, that a soul and the spirit are the same thing. We believe that they're two different things. There's that the, the word of God can actually penetrate to the point of separating your spirit and your soul. They're not the same. They are two distinct things. And so we believe that a spirit is the eternal part of us, the part that is going to go to heaven or elsewhere, as the case may be, that may go to hell if we don't know Jesus. We believe that the soul is composed of the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's kind of how we connect with each other. The spirit's how we connect with God, and the body is how we connect with the physical world. So that's not really central to what we're talking about today, but since it's so blatantly in this passage, I want to make sure and explain that because it is important to understand. So it divides soul and spirit, then it divides joint and marrow. Again, Joints and marrow are not the same thing. They can be divided. And so just as we see soul and spirit, not the same thing. Joints and marrow, not the same thing. It penetrates. It gets inside of us. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I think to sum up that verse very easily, we could say that God's word is powerful. It's powerful. It penetrates. It splits us open. It gets inside of us. Divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. There's another passage uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, which actually tells us uh, about how the sword is, or how we have a sword, and it is the word of God as well. And it's in the full armor of God. Dwindle already gave a shout out for his city group. So now I'm going to give a shout out for Kenneth and Naomi's city group. Kenneth and Naomi are going to be studying the full armor of God for the West DeSoto City Group at Chirp and Samantha's house on Monday nights. And uh, if you've never studied the armor of God, if you've never learned how to put this armor on, how to protect yourself and get ready for battle, I really encourage you to go to that group. Um, it is going to be an, an awesome, awesome study in this. We're not going to go through the whole armor today, but I do want to give you some context before we get to the piece that discusses the sword. So starting in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, Finally... 
Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So if you're going to be strong, Paul's about to tell us how we can be strong. He says, put on the full armor of God. Not just one or two pieces. We're going to put on all seven pieces of the armor of God. Why? So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stopping right there. You need to know you have an enemy. You have an enemy who's after you. He wants to destroy you. His mission statement is to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to come after your family. He wants to come after your body. He wants to come after your finances. He wants to come after your relationships. He wants to come after your spirit. He wants to come after you, and he's going to. And probably you've experienced some of that already. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably experienced a lot of that. Even if you're not a Christian, you've probably experienced some of it, although you may not have known what the source was. But there's an enemy who hates you and who's after you. And so God doesn't just say, hey, heads up, just be ready. There's somebody who hates you and wants to destroy you. He says, there's somebody who wants to destroy you, but I want to prepare you to be protected. And so here's how you're going to be prepared. Here's how you can go to war against this enemy. Verse 12, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The struggle is not against your evil boss. Our struggle is not against that person in your neighborhood who, you know, is doing whatever, the drug dealer down the street. The struggle is not against the gang member. Our struggle is not against ISIS in Iraq, even though, man, it's, it's easy to look at them as the enemy. Our struggle is against the spiritual force behind what's going on. And so we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore, he says it again, put on the full armor of God. Anytime you see something repeated in Scripture uh, very close to each other, it's a pretty good indication trying to get a point home. Man, this is important. I don't want you to miss this. So Paul twice says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. One of the, the most encouraging and simultaneously discouraging verses in Scripture because Paul doesn't say so that if the day of evil comes. A lot of us want to live in a world where it's an if. Well, man, maybe something terrible will happen one day, and if that happens, then I'll know what to do. It's not what Paul says. He says, when the day of evil comes, I want to encourage you. I want to be a life-giving pastor. I want to lift you up. But you need to know the truth today. The day of evil is going to come for you. The day of evil is going to come for your family. The day of evil is going to come for your kids. The day of evil is going to come in your life. It's not an if. It's not a maybe. It's not a just in case. Be ready. It's going to happen. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground so you don't shrink back, so you don't lose progress, so you don't retreat back to who you used to be, so that you can stand firm and be exactly who God has called you to be and what you've stepped into and the person you've grown to be, that you don't lose any progress when that day of evil comes and after you've done everything to keep on standing. God doesn't want you getting knocked down. He doesn't want you to fall. The Bible says if the righteous man falls seven times, so yes, it does happen. But his goal for you, his best for you, his plan for you is that when that attack comes, you can stand up under it. That you are strong enough, that you are prepared, that you are aware, and it doesn't knock you down. Verse 14 says, stand firm then, and it begins to enumerate the different pieces of the full armor of God. And again, if you haven't had time to study this or really get into it, check out Kenneth and Naomi's group. They're going to be able to give it way, way, way more detail than I can give you this morning. But as we go through the full armor of God, we come to verse 17. It says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word 
of God. So twice here in the epistles, twice after Jesus has died and risen again and gone to heaven, the the people that he's called, his apostles, who send out these letters to train up churches, they compare God's word to a sword. And what I love about this Ephesians passage especially is that it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Here's what you need to understand. Last week we talked about eating the bread and one of our points, if you didn't get this, if you weren't here, check out the podcast as you read through the Bible, man. Do these six things. But one of the things that we looked at is that we need to eat the bread prayerfully. That before we open the Word of God, we need to ask God to reveal to us what is He really trying to say. That we need to ask the Holy Spirit, I need you to speak to me. I need you to show me what's really going on in here. You see, the Holy Spirit's job description in the book of John, Jesus lays out this amazing doctrine of the Trinity, and he talks about what the Father does and what the Spirit does and what he does. And he says that the Spirit's job is to remind us everything that he said. The Word of God. The Holy Spirit's job is to remind us of what God said, to help us to understand what he said, to discern what he said. So here's what you got to do. you got to read it. For the Holy Spirit to be able to help you understand it. Here's what's not going to happen. He's not just going to drop the knowledge in your brain. It's not the way that it works. He's going to reveal to you the thing that you've already read. He's going to bring it to life. He's going to help it to make sense to you. Am I saying that God doesn't give visions? That God doesn't give revelation? I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that God's put the ball in our court and he said, Hey, I already gave you my word. I already gave you my will. Open it up. Read it. Digest it. Chew on it. Hold on to it. And then I'll be able to add and explain it to you. Then I'll be able to make it come to life to you. But we got to start the process. Why? Because it's our job to go first? No, God already started the process. He's put the ball in our court. He came down. Jesus died for our sins and he left us with the word of God. Now we got to do something with it. And so the sword of the Spirit, man, as you read the Word of God, you've got to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. You've got to be inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You've got to be listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit because, man, how do you know people have gotten this thing wrong? I've gotten this thing wrong. There have been wars fought. There have been tons and tons of people who have died because somebody misunderstood something in this book. There have been innumerable tragedies that have happened on this earth because somebody took this thing the wrong way or tried to force it to mean something that it didn't mean. It's important for us to know what God's really saying. We've got to lean into the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to unpack this idea of how the Word of God is like a sword today. And this is going to be a really simple, basic message, but I think if you'll grab hold of it, God's going to show you some things that are going to help you as you open the book throughout your life and especially throughout these next few weeks. So just three thoughts on how the Word of God is like a sword, how the Word of God operates in a similar way to how a sword operates. The first one is this, the Word protects us from sin. If you're going off to war back in these days, uh, when the Bible was written, the sword was, was the primary weapon. It was the main weapon that you were going to go off to war with. And you can just imagine, uh, you know, by the way, today is the 24th of August. So two heads ups for you. First of all, four months from today, Christmas Eve, celebrate with families coming up. 122 days from today. Yes, I have the Christmas countdown on. I love Christmas. I'm pumped up about it. We're already starting to exchange some ideas and get some stuff together uh, for Christmas Eve. So be ready for that. Uh, secondly, and more importantly and more urgently, one month from today, baby Souten is due. Uh, so we are about to transition into a new season of life. Uh, one month uh, from today, roughly, we'll see when the baby actually shows up. But uh, somewhere 
around there. And I can just imagine uh, a father 2,000 years ago trying to protect his little newborn, keeping the sword by the bedside, you know? Like, you know how the, the guy today is going to have the, the baseball bat or the gun or, or whatever protective device that, that he chooses next to the bed. I can just imagine back in those days, daddy had the sword close. Why? For protection. Because if anybody comes in here and messes with my kid, they're going to pay the price. If anybody comes in here and tries to do something to my wife, they're going to pay the price. The Word of God protects us just like a sword does. In fact, in Psalm 119.11, which if you want to really dive into some theology of the Word, if you really want to see how the Word benefits you, along with what else you're reading, read Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. Maybe you can't get through all of it in one sitting. Maybe you've got to read it multiple times to really digest it. But Psalm 119 is all about the Word. And in Psalm 119.11, it says very famously that I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. See, God's word protects us from sin. If you are struggling with a sin issue, if you've got a bondage in your life, if you've got a familiar sin, something that you just kind of return to over and over and over again, man, can I encourage you? You need to apply some word to that situation. It's the Word of God protects us from sin. You need to hide God's Word in your heart. You need to begin to memorize some scripture related to that specific thing that you're struggling with. I'll give you an example from my own life, something I did. When I was in Bible college, um, I was 18, 19 years old and uh, loved God with all my heart, but purity was not my strongest skill in any means. And and so I had some some lust issues. I had some junk. And so I, I wrote down Psalm 101, verse 3 on an index card. And Psalm 101, verse 3 says, I will put no vile thing before my eyes. And I wrote down that on that index card, and I taped that thing to every computer, every TV, like every device where filth was coming in and getting into my eyes and getting into my spirit and was affecting me and distracting me from what God had for me. I had that taped all over the place because I knew I needed to hide God's word in my heart. I needed to be protected from sin because I was weak in that area. And so I began to, to strengthen myself with the word of God. Now, I don't know that you have that same sin issue. Maybe for you, that's the verse, and you need to write that down, young man. And you're like, okay, Psalm 101.3, that's me. I'm grabbing on to that. Maybe it's something totally different for you. But whatever your sin issue is, God's put something in here about it. God's got a guideline for us. He's got a boundary for us. And if we begin to hide his word in our heart, what's it going to do? It's going to help us not sin against God. It's the sword that protects us. And sin is trying to get to you. In fact, from the very, very beginning, right after the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis, it says that sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It's trying to get in. It's trying to get a foothold. It's trying to bust in the door of your heart. And you must master it. You can't master it on your own. You've got to master it through the strength of the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to you, protecting you through the power of the Word of God. How is this thing like a sword? Number one, it's like a sword because it protects us from sin. And if you've got a sin issue, can I just tell you, it's time to take it serious. It's time for God's people to quit playing. It's time for us to quit messing around with sin. You know, Colossians tells us to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to our sinful nature. How do you put something to death? You go to war with it. You take up the sword, and you begin to battle, and you go after it. And some of us have been just tolerating some sin in our life for way too long. We've just been kind of, kind of ignoring it, kind of leaving it over there. God loves me. God's forgiven me. I'm still going to heaven. And yes, that's true. Yes, I believe in grace. No, I don't believe we earn our salvation by any means. But I do believe that God's equipped us and empowered us to defeat sin. 
He's called us to defeat sin. He's called us to arise above it. He's not asking us to do anything that he's not enabling us to do. He's given us the tools. He's given us the armor. Are we going to use it? Put to death whatever belongs to your sinful nature. Take up the sword and protect yourself from that sin that keeps on popping up in your life. Second thing that we see that, that makes the word of God like a sword is the sword penetrates our hearts. The sword of the word of God penetrates our hearts. We saw it in Hebrews 4.12 that, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates dividing joint and marrow, uh, or dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It gets in us. If you were to take this thing, and like I said, this is not uh, sharpened right now, so I don't know that this would do a whole lot of penetrating your skin, but if this thing was sharpened, if this was out on the battlefield and somebody who knew how to use it was holding it, it could slice right through you real quick. Uh, it could cut through your arm. It could cut through your face. It could cut through just about anything. It could penetrate. That's what it's designed to do. Uh, I don't know if you like watch Braveheart or any of those awesome movies, uh, but there's people getting stuff sliced off all the time with a sword, right? Uh, partial to William Wallace, all right? I got a little bit of Scottish roots, so freedom. So it's all about. Uh, but it, divide, it penetrates. It gets inside. How does the Word of God penetrate? What is Hebrews talking about? When it says it penetrates, what exactly is it saying? Here's what I think. I think there's a couple of different ways that the word penetrates. First of all, I just think as you read it, as you study it, as you memorize it, it's going to get inside of you. It's going to get inside your mind. It's going to get inside your soul. It's going to begin to renew your mind. You see, when we get saved, we don't automatically get all of God's thoughts. You get saved, you don't automatically just love that person who cuts you off on the road, right? We still hate that guy. I still hate that guy. I still got to renew my mind in, in, in that area of my life. Uh, but God loves that guy. God, Jesus died for that guy. He, he put it all on the line for that dude. And so I've got to take God's word and begin to wash my mind, begin to get his thoughts in and get my thoughts out. Uh, and so how does the, the word of God penetrate it? It just gets inside you. Man, when you take the time, when you honor, when you go before the Lord and say, God, as I read this, just help me to, to burn inside of me. Help it to become part of who I am. Help it to change my identity, to change my DNA, to begin to see things the way that you do. The sword will penetrate our hearts, and it goes to work. Once it gets inside you, it goes to work. It begins to reveal things that are there. It says it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. A lot of time, I, I think I'm a pretty good dude until I read the Bible. <laughs> and then as I read the Bible, I begin to realize just how wretched and nasty and sinful and messed up I really am. Because this thing judges my thoughts. It judges my attitudes. It shows me where I'm off base. And if you're not in the word, man, you may kind of fall into that deception of thinking you really kind of got it going on. And you're in a really pretty good spot right now. And I'm not saying that you're a terrible, awful person, but I'm telling you this. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we've all got areas where God's calling us to something better, where God's created us for something better, where the people around you need you to rise up to something better so that you can show them the glory of God. And without this, we're not going to see it. We're not going to realize it. We're not going to begin to go to work and go to battle with the things that we're struggling with. It's been said, and I love this statement, it says that the Bible is the only book that you don't just read, but it actually reads you. That as you open this thing, as you get into this, you're reading it, but it's reading you. 
And it's going to show you some stuff. And it's not all bad. It's going to show you some awesome things. It's going to reveal to you some giftings. It's going to reveal to you some passions. It's going to reveal to you some callings that God has on your life. It's not all just depressing, oh, man, I'm terrible. Man, it's, it's going to show you who you are in Christ. It's going to show you your new identity. It's going to show you that God's created you for something so much better than the existence that you're living in right now. As you read this, it's going to read you. And it's powerful. It's like a sword. It penetrates. It gets inside of us. The third thing, very simply, and and how the Word of God is like a sword. The Lord brings victory through the sword. This is my favorite one. The Lord brings victory through the sword. When I was uh, probably 18, 19 years old, I went to a conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee with my youth group from my church back home. And I remember the guy, his name was Clayton King. And Clayton King spoke, youth evangelist, and he delivered a message on this passage I'm about to share with you. And he went kind of a different direction with it, but, but I, it's one of those, like, five sermons from childhood that I can remember, like, to a T, like, that have just stuck with me, that this is, like, one of those God moments where God was showing me something or revealing something to me. And I haven't had the chance to show you this passage yet, so I'm super excited to do it. So turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. As you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23, I'm going to show you how the Lord brings victory through the sword. As you're flipping over to 2 Samuel, um, first, 2 Samuel, by the way, comes after 1 Samuel. Uh, it's a tough one. Uh, and then it's before 1 and 2 Kings. Uh, so it's in the Old Testament. It's somewhere right around the 8th or ninth book of the Old Testament, if I remember off the top of my head correctly. Hopefully you can find it fairly quickly. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's going to talk about, uh, kind of tangentially, Talk about my favorite person in Scripture. Outside of Jesus, Jesus is always the favorite, so we don't have to say that, right? Just get that out of the way. Outside of Jesus, David is my favorite person in Scripture. Uh, As a lot of you know, it's my middle name, and I just see so much of myself in David uh, and in his struggles and his mistakes and his passion. Uh, So these are the names of David, who at this point in time is the king of Israel, David's mighty men. David had three mighty men. David had three people who were the baddest of the bad in the army. Now understand, David was a warrior. In fact, David couldn't be the t- build the temple of the Lord because God said, I'm not going to have a warrior build my temple. I want a, a king of peace. So God told Solomon, David's son, to build the temple. But David was a warrior. David was a bad dude. David killed giants, right? Like David took people's heads off. It's in the Bible. I'm not just saying it. It's there. Uh, that's, that's who David was. He was a tough nasty, awesome warrior dude, and he had three guys in his army who were the best of the best. Three guys in his army who they call his mighty men. And here's what I want for us. I want God to raise you and I up to be mighty men and mighty women in the army of the Lord. I want us to be the kind of people that stories are told about 3,000 years later if this world lasts that long. That people would look back and say, wow, look at what God was able to accomplish through such a small number of people. Look at what God was able to do through one individual. Look at the whole army that that one person took out because they were sold out for God. Watch what happens through David's mighty men. Verse 9, or it says uh, in verse 8, these are the names of David's mighty men. It starts with Josheb, Bathshebeth, Atikamanites, and I probably just butchered every one of those words, uh, but verse 9, it gets to our guy, and this is who we're going to look at. This word, this name is actually, uh, appears a few places in Scripture, uh, but this is my favorite of anybody named Eliezer. Uh, and I'm not naming my kid Eliezer because it's a tough name, but this guy is awesome. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai, the Ahohite. Tough, tough town to be from. Uh, 
As one of the three mighty men, he was with David. He was with the king. He was right next to the king. Now, symbolically, David is the type of Jesus. He's the representative of Jesus. He's the king who's going to war. And so this mighty man was right next to Jesus. He was right next to the king's heart. He cherished his king. He was passionate for his king. It says he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered it past damn him. I love that. They taunted the Philistines. David's out there talking smack. Yeah, I'm the guy that took out your leader. I'm the guy that did it. Like, I love that so much as, as a sports fan who likes to talk a little bit of smack and sometimes people judge you. Uh, okay, David was out there talking smack. He was taunting the enemy. And as long as we're doing it in good nature, I think it's okay. Uh, so they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pass Demean for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. So David and Eleazar are talking smack, and everybody else says, yeah, uh, we're not going to step in while you're messing with the hornet's nest. Uh, you guys can deal with this yourselves. You guys earned this. I didn't talk smack to them. I'm going home. So the whole army retreats. So it's just David and Eleazar, and, and actually it looks like David actually kind of disappears from here too. Probably what happens, we don't know for sure, but, but what most likely happened is that David's guards came and grabbed him and took him out of the scene uh, because he's not going to pop up in this scene again. And most likely that was their job to make sure that he didn't get taken out. So that just leaves Eleazar by himself. Verse 10, the men of Israel retreated, but he, Eleazar, stood his ground and he struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired. And listen to what this says in the NIV. And your translation might have a different word for it, but we're going to dive into what it means regardless. It says his hand froze to his sword. Hello! What's the sword symbolic of in Scripture? Whoa! His hand froze to his sword. He won a battle. He wiped out an entire army by himself. Why? Because his sword was frozen to his hand. It didn't leave. I didn't have to say anything else after that. Come on, doesn't that fire you up? What battle does God have for you to win? What army does He have for you to take out? What ministry does He have for you to create? Who are you supposed to witness to who's going to miss hell and make heaven because your hand froze to your sword? God is looking for some mighty men and some mighty women who don't hold back, who don't fall back to the average, who don't think I'm just like everybody else. He's looking for some mighty men who say, you know what, with the sword of the Lord in my hand, I can do anything He calls me to do. I can take anybody out. I can do anything He's want me to do. Are you going to be that person? Are you willing to pay the price and make the sacrifice for your hand to freeze to your sword. Story's not over. It says the Lord brought about a great victory that day. We don't bring the victory. We simply obey. We simply surrender to what God has for us. God brings the victory. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar. The rest of the army came back, but not to help fight the battle. They simply came back to help strip the dead. Hey, we're going to get some weapons. We're going to get some armor off of these guys. We're going to plunder them and take it back. But Eleazar was the only one who took out an entire army. We don't know how big this Philistine army happened to be. We don't know how many men were in this instance, but we know it was one dude against an army. And the one dude won. The one dude survived. The one dude was still standing. Why? Because his hand froze to his sword. What victory have I missed out on 
because my hand wasn't frozen to my soul. What did God have for me that I've missed because I was too quick to lay that thing down, to let that thing go? Maybe you ask yourself the same question today. Here's the truth. The Lord brings victory through the sword. It even rhymes. I didn't even plan it that way, but it does. It makes it that much easier to remember. The Lord brings victory through the sword. If you need victory, this is the source of victory. It comes through the sword. Eliezer won this entire victory by himself. Everybody else retreated, but he didn't. Why? Because he was frozen to the word. When the enemy comes, when the day of evil comes, Ephesians says, I want you to stand. I don't want you to shrink back. I don't want you to fall. I don't want you to disappear. I don't want you to hide. I want you to stand. How am I going to do it? Through the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Eleazar stood when everybody else fled because his hand was gripped to his sword. Dwindle already referenced one children's song this morning, so I'll reference another one for us. You might remember this one, the B-I-B-L-E. What's it say next? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Eliezer stood. He knew as long as he had his sword, as long as he was close with his sword, as long as he had a passion for his sword and understanding with his sword, he didn't have to worry. didn't matter what army came after him. didn't matter what the gates of hell sent his way. They would not prevail against the man of God with the sword of the Lord. The Lord brings victory through His sword. we got to stand on the Word. Okay, now, if you've got the King James Version or you've got the New American Standard Version, you've got a different translation of the Bible, it doesn't say froze. And so you're like, okay, that's really cool that it says it in one translation, but what does it really mean? Well, I looked it up for you because I think it's important. I went back into the Hebrew, and the Hebrew word here is dabuk. Everybody say dabuk. That's the word that's translated froze. In the NIV, Dabuke in the Hebrew actually appears quite a few times in Scripture. The very first time it appears is in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Genesis 2.24 says this. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and Dabuke with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Most of, most of the time it's translated cleave, to join together tightly. Uh, I think in the NIV now it's translated be united to his wife, the two become one. What it's picturing is two things that are so inseparable, you don't know where one ends and the other begins. It's the picture of marriage where two spirits are intertwined, where they become one. They answer to God together in marriage. That's the word. His hand dubuked to his sword. You couldn't tell where the sword was or where the hand was. They were so close together. They were so intimate with each other. They knew each other so well. They were inseparable. His hand froze to his sword. It dubuked to his sword. Most Christians, and this is what I really feel like God wants me to tell you today. Most Christians in America right now are not dubuked to the sword. Most Christians are not in love with the sword. They're not married to the sword. They're in like with the sword. They're kind of dating around. Maybe see the sword once a week. We'll kind of hang out. We'll kind of do our thing. But I'm not really committed to it. I'm keeping my options open. And if you want the victory, 
that God has already paid the price for you to have. If you want to walk in the abundant life that Jesus died for you, I need you to know today, you can't be in life with the sword anymore. You can't date the sword anymore. You've got to debuke with this thing. You've got to cleave to this thing. You've got to freeze to this thing. You've got to fall in love with the Word of God. And when you do, the Lord will bring victory through the sword. Here's the other thing I want you to see as we get ready to wrap up today. And I'm going to use the wooden sword for this one because I'm going to be blood free today. So this is uh, Bailey's wooden sword. Thank you, Bailey. All right. So this will demonstrate this hopefully for us. If you were to go out to war, if Eleazar was going out to war, he didn't have the Philistines show up. He didn't talk smack. And there was a sword laying there on the ground, and he picked it up not knowing anything about how to use it like I would. Like if you came to me right now and I tried to defend myself with this sword, you'd probably take me out pretty quick. I don't know anything about it, especially if it was that sword. Because I'm barely strong enough to hold it, let alone to swing it, let alone to do any damage with it. There's some training involved in using one of those things. They don't just show up to battle and say, let's go. I'm going to swing this thing and figure out what happens. Right? You're doing more damage to yourself that way than you're doing to the other person, right? I think a lot of Christians do exactly that, though. I think a lot of Christians, we go about our life. We do whatever we feel like. We get distracted with all the stuff, all the entertainment, all the junk around us. And then life happens. Then the battle comes. Then you find out you've got cancer. Then you find out you lost your job. Then that terrible phone call happens and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've got to grab the sword, but you don't know how to use it. Eleazar did not go off to battle and grab a sword and hope that he figured it out. Eleazar trained. He studied. He knew how to use that sword. He spent hours with it. He was intimate with it. He was close to it. When nobody was looking, when nobody was around, when the enemy was distant and far, and he could have done anything else he wanted so that he was prepared for the day that the enemy showed up. And maybe you're not in the middle of a battle right now. Maybe life's good. Maybe you're not facing a health issue. Maybe you're not facing a potential divorce. Maybe your kids aren't on drugs. Maybe they're not rebellious right now. Maybe you're not in a bad place. And life seems like it's going pretty well. Can I tell you, the day of evil is going to come. And if you wait until the day of evil shows up to start saying, where's my Bible? It just might be too late. But Eleazar's hand froze to his sword in battle because he knew how to use it before he ever got there. He studied. He trained. He worked it. He made sure he understood every angle of that sword. And I'm not saying that you've got to go home and memorize all the books of the Bible today. I'm not saying you've got to go home and read through Matthew before lunch. I understand it's going to take some time. But that's what it's, the time's there for. Get into it now. Study the Word now. Develop a habit of being in God's word, God's word now so that when that day does show up, and maybe it doesn't show up for you, maybe it shows up for your neighbor. And now you've got God's Word hidden in your heart, and you're full of the Holy Spirit, and you're in tune with God's voice, and you can go speak some encouragement into their life. You can go pick them up. You can go be there for them. Maybe, just maybe, they're at that low point. They've hit rock bottom, and they're at the point where they're most likely to receive Jesus in the history of their life. And God puts you next door to them for such a time as this. 
to be able to seize that opportunity, to be able to point them to Jesus, to be able to share your testimony and bring them out of darkness into light. What happens when our hands frozen to our sword? We've got to be passionate about the sword. So I'm here to tell you today, quit dating the sword. Quit liking the sword. Fall in love with the sword. Commit to the sword. Marry the sword and watch the victory that God brings into your life. I don't know what victory he's called you to. It's probably not an army of Philistines out in the valley in Israel. But he's called you to victory. He's created you for victory. He's created you to win. And he's told us the, the recipe. It's right here. Let your hand freeze to the sword of the Lord. And he will bring victory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.